And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. In 1990, thanks to the success of Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie, Warner Brothers Animation began accepting proposals for a new Batman cartoon. Combining Bruce Timm's character designs with Eric Radomski's background concepts, plus the writings of such talents as Paul Dini, Tom Kruger, Michael Reeves, and Marty Pasco, Batman the Animated Series was far different, not only from any previous Batman show, but any previous animated show as well. But I'm not here to talk about the show. I'm here to talk about the comic books. With the premiere set for September 1992 and a sneak peek at the end of August, DC Comics decided to release a tie-in comic based on the show. Batman Adventures would not only match the art style set by Tim and Radomski, but also mimic the three-act structure of the show. Originally set up as a three-issue miniseries, it would go on to have 36 issues, two annuals, a few specials, and not to mention leading into the DCAU corner of DC Comics that would eventually include the Batman and Robin Adventures, Superman Adventures, Batman the Gotham Adventures, Batman Beyond, Justice League Adventures, a second volume of Batman Adventures, and Justice League Unlimited, not to mention spin-off miniseries and animated movie adaptations. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We are going to start at the beginning. issue of Batman Adventures was released on September 8, 1992 and had a cover date of October 1992 and a cover price of $1.75. The issue was written by Kelly Puckett, it was penciled by Ty Templeton, inked by Rick Perchette, lettered by Tim Harkins, colored by Rick Taylor, and edited by Scott Peterson. We begin at the latest hideout of the Penguin, 
where, after showing off his amazing perceived intelligence, he receives a strange package. Inside is an interactive TV unit, and the shadowy figure on screen has an offer for Penguin that will make him rich, while also allowing for revenge against the GCPD and Batman. And in return, he has for just one insignificant, meaningless little trinket. At first, Penguin isn't all that interested. But when the shadowy figure is accidentally revealed to be the Joker, Penguin becomes intrigued. Time passes and we see Penguin and his crew commit a bank robbery in which they get the Joker's little trinket and a rather large sum of money. But they manage to cut the alarms and security cameras and knock out the guard from behind. So when Batman shows up, he has no clues to gather to solve this mystery. At least not until some time later, when the Penguin is on television talking about how he's reformed and about his recent large donations to various Gotham charities. Batman is sure that Penguin has used the recent robberies to fund his donations, but he can't quite prove it, and he doesn't know where he'll strike next. But, thanks to a little help from Alfred and a little detective work, he realizes that Penguin is robbing the city's greatest philanthropists and using their monies, their monies, and using their money to take their place in society. And with this knowledge, he knows how to catch that Pudgy for their perfidy. That night, at the police charity banquet, Penguin wins the award for the largest donation of $1 million, much to Commissioner Gordon's chagrin. But, as Pengy starts to make his acceptance speech, Mayor Hill takes back the reward because they just received a last-minute $2 million donation from Bruce Wayne. Humiliated, Penguin plans his revenge. That night, as they've been doing this whole time, Penguin and his crew take every precaution as they break into the Wayne Financial Institution. As they make their way to the vault downstairs, the lights go out. So Penguin has them all split up, which allows Batman to take them down in small groups rather than having to deal with everyone all at once. But while he's busy with the henchmen, Penguin makes it to the vault. When Batman reaches him, Penguin readily confesses everything because Batman has no way to prove it. Except that the Cape Crusader explains that he rerouted the security cameras in the vault and that Penguin just confessed on tape. And with that, Penguin pretty much gives up, but elsewhere, Joker got what he wanted so he can continue with his schemes. Alright, this issue fits in with the animated series beautifully, which is actually pretty good considering the animated show had not made its debut when they were make working on this issue. The art looks good. I mean, it looks fantastic, if you ask me. It looks perfect for the show. Uh, although, of course, some of the ancillary characters, such as Penguin's henchmen, look a little more in Ty Templeton style than the Bruce Timm style, but that's all, that makes sense, considering Ty Templeton's drawing it, not Bruce Timm. Uh, the... Uh, the other thing is just the, the way it's written. The characters are perfectly in character with the way they're going to appear on the show between Penguin obviously wanting to be more rich and famous, but not, and the way the Joker operates. It's pretty good. Although I'm not 100% sure how Joker manages to talk Penguin into committing robberies this way when it's not really Penguin's style he would technically, you would think he would have come up with this before, so I don't know why all of a sudden it sounds like a good idea this time. But, you know, whatever. The story starts off with an unnamed henchman watching a what appears to be a Batman cartoon. 
it could also be like Adam West TV show type of deal, but uh, I don't know. It, it's drawn in the animated style, so it's hard to tell. On page five, Joker's reveal with the lights is actually pretty humorous. And his reaction, <laughs> he shoots the henchman or whoever it was that turned the light on uh, so that he was, so you could see him. I thought that was pretty good. Fitting perfectly with the, with the show. Page six. Uh, I like the misdirect. Batman busts in through a window at the bank, but Penguin and crew have already left, even though it's all on the same page. It looks like Batman's doing one of those last-minute appearances. However, Batman is a little pudgier than he w will be later, um, but this actually fits in but more with some of the earlier Batman designs that Bruce Timm had done, so that actually kind of makes sense. Uh, he got trimmed down a little bit by the time the show started. He got trimmed down a little bit more when they started up the Adventures of Batman and Robin. So it all makes sense. Uh, page 10, we get our first look at the Batcave. And it, while on one hand it does fit exactly with the TV show, uh, I don't know how that bat computer works because it looks like the screen is not a screen. Kelly Puckett manages to capture the back and forth between Alfred and Bruce perfectly here. It's just amazing that he was able to capture it so well before they're even able to see an episode of the show. Uh, page 12, we see one of my first pet peeves with the way Rick Taylor colors uh, for some reason, despite them having white hair on the show, both Mayor Hill and Commissioner Gordon are given gray hair here, and he consistently, well, I don't know about Mayor Hill, but he consistently colors uh, Commissioner Gordon's hair gray all the way through, even when he uh, comes back for an occasional uh, guest coloring in the later series. Also, he likes to color everyone's glasses blue, uh, which is also another thing he'll do when he is a guest colorist on uh, Superman Adventures with Clark's glasses. But he, he likes to color in the lenses blue for reasons. Page 17. Okay, so right before a couple pan the bottom two panels or so on the previous page, everyone's starting to freak out because the lights have gone off. And everyone... Penguin's trying to tell everyone to stay calm. It's only the guards. And then Batman just kind of silently lands amidst them and goes, maybe it's Batman. And he's got a smile on his face. That's what I love about this. Uh, both this book and this show, Batman actually seems to enjoy being Batman, which I know technically shouldn't work considering the whole reason he's Batman, but it's nice that he kind of enjoys it every once in a while. And on page 19 now, since this is the first combat we've seen in the game, in the game, wow, in the comic, uh, we see something that Fox would not allow, besides the shooting, obviously, uh, was uh, Batman was not allowed to actually punch anyone. If you ever watch the show, you'll notice that whenever he's about to punch someone, there's usually a flash on the screen or a change of the angle, so you never actually see the punch connect until you watch the uh, Mask of the Phantasm movie. That's interesting. And that's pretty much it for this issue. So we're going to move right into issue number two, which had a cover date of November 1992 and an on-sale date of October 6th, 1992. 
And this issue, with the same exact creative team, the title is Catwoman's Killer Caper. Uh, we begin with yet another successful robbery for Catwoman. And afterwards, she returns home to where she receives a strange package. Inside is an interactive TV, and the shadowy figure on screen has an offer for her. But before he can actually make the offer, he's once again accidentally revealed to be the Joker. His offer involves the theft of the crown jewels of England, and all he asks in return is for one insignificant, minor little trinket. Roughly a week later, closer to dawn than he prefers, Batman responds to the Bat City, where Gordon informs him that the crown jewels of England were stolen, and in their place was a card with Batman's symbol on it. They both agree that it's Penguin, and Batman's on the case. The next day, Bruce Wayne arrives at the Royal Gallery in London, and is met by a Mr. Hem Helmsley, the man in charge. He thinks Bruce is there to see progress on the Thomas Wayne Memorial Gallery, but instead, he wants to see what all the hubbub is about. Inside Helmsley, did I say that right? Yeah, Helmsley, mm. explains how, to how the security system works, then invites Bruce to go with him to turn off the system. After all, what's the point in keeping him on if there's no jewels to keep secure, right? He also mentions that other than an insignificant item from the technology exhibit, nothing else was stolen. Bruce declines the invite and leaves. But that night, Batman returns, see what I did there, and figures out how Catwoman beat the security system. As Selina hangs out in her hotel room, watching the news and laughing at the oblivious officials, the report switches to a report the news report switches to a report about a couple of escaped convicts. After the reporter finishes his report, he and his cameraman are attacked by those same escaped convicts, but are saved by the totally awesome Batman. In return, he gives the reporter a message to relay on the news. On the air, the reporter breaks into whatever the story was that they were talking about and reads Batman's message, which states that Catwoman stole the crown jewels and refers to her as a colorful but ultimately harmless petty thief and promises to return the jewels by midnight. This infuriates Selina, who grabs her costume and heads out. At the gallery, Catwoman returns to the scene of the crime, but when she goes to retrieve the crown jewels, she sees a note from Batman, who is standing behind her with the jewels in his hands. Batman lets her get too close, allowing her to grab the jewels and run off, leading to a chase across the London rooftops. They end up at Big Ben, and although it means letting her get away, Batman does indeed get the jewels, just as the clock strikes midnight. Meanwhile, back in Gotham, the Joker receives a package from London. It's time for his plan to go into action. Now, one of the first things you'll notice when you pull up this issue, and by this point, by the time this issue came out in October, uh, Catwoman had already been shown on the show, so everyone knew she had blonde hair. I've heard complaints about the blonde hair, but... Unfortunately, that was not their original intent. She was going to have black hair like she's traditionally done, or like she traditionally has in the comics. But there's this little thing called Batman Returns that came out the summer of 92. And I don't know if you've, ever, if you've heard of it, uh, but the, in the movie, Catwoman is portrayed by Michelle Pfeiffer, who is a rather blonde woman. And so the powers at B... The powers that be at Warner Brothers kind of instituted that Catwoman, Catwoman and Penguin had to look similar to their appearances in that movie, which is also why the Penguin last issue looked more like the Danny DeVito Penguin than what you normally would see. Penguin's initial design 
actually look more like the Dick Sprang kind of penguin back from the 40s and 50s. But because of the movie, he ha- they had to redesign him to look like Danny DeVito. Uh, fortunately, when they did the redesign for the new Batman Adventures in 97? Well, I guess they probably did the designs in 96. Uh, they were able to go back to their initial design because by that point, no one really was worried about it looking anything like any of the movies. Of course, then Catwoman's costume got weird, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Another difference, of course, is Catwoman's costume in this. It does not really match any of the previous styles, although it does have the little... The belt is very reminiscent of Julie... Well, not just Julie Newmars, but of the Catwoman belt used on the Adam West TV series. Uh, Page 5, once again, Joker responds to having the light turned on by shooting whoever it was that opened the door for him. So that's two henchmen that we never see that are dead before we even get to the actual Joker issue. By the way, has anyone noticed that the three main villains are the ones that have, at this point, had so far appeared in the movies? It's true. Uh, Page 7. Now, on one hand, it, it works very well, this scene with Batman and Commissioner Gordon. But at the point where Gordon has taken off his glasses and tells Batman that, um, let's see, what does he say? I also told them you'd probably be in London before I had a chance to turn you over to them for questioning. If this was the show, he probably would have disappeared by that point, and Gordon would have said something like, or not that they'd be able to get to you anyway, or something like that. But uh, in this, this time, Batman actually manages to stick around and thank Gordon for sticking his neck out for me. Or for him, not for me. So, I mean, it, it's a nice scene. It's a little different than what you would have seen on the TV show, but, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, page 8, it uh, looks like we get a prototype, a, a prototype British Lois Lane. Uh, very, actually quite similar to what we end up getting, except uh, Lois's hair will be straighter. But otherwise, it's pretty similar. Uh, I like that the guards at the museum look pretty pissed. All right, so page 11. So we figure out that you can't go more than one meter in any direction from where the jewels are without the alarms going off. And it turns out that right under the... that you can hide the jewels underneath the stand that they're on, and that is still within the, the one meter, but it hides it so that they'll turn off the security system so the Catwoman could come back and steal the jewels for real. It's not bad, not a bad idea. Now, uh, page 12. This is the part, uh, watching Selina, when she's in her Catwoman costume, she stays pretty close to on model. When she's Selina, uh, Unfortunately, they're unable to give her the facial expressions they're going for without kind of going a little too off-model. But this also will happen with Mike Paravec. Some of some of the faces, when they're not in costume, will look a little off. Actually, not off. They still look good, but they're more of his style instead of the anim- instead of Bruce Timm's style, which is just again the way these kinds of things work because these are. Uh, artists trying to mimic someone else's style. Starting on page 18, well, we have two full pages with no words. 
And this is something that's going to play um, even more as the series progresses because they do a lot of stuff where it's just silent pages. I love this. And it really works with the animated style because you can just hear the sound effects. They, they do this on the show. We just don't get to see it in comics too often. But it also uh, is reminiscent of... Uh, what, what movie is it that it's on? I want to say it's The Mystery of the Batwoman. Or Batwoman, maybe? Or a Justice League movie? I don't know, but there's a... In, uh, in New Adventures of Batman uh, style, or animated style movie that has no, no no sound, written by Paul Dini, that just has Batman chasing Catwoman. It could have just... I, I want to say it's... Well, it actually could have been on one of the other movies, too, but I want to say it was with the mystery of the Batwoman, since that was also in the New Adventures style. But I don't know. I could be wrong. And I'm too lazy to Google it right now. Anyway, uh, yeah, this actually fit the the chase and Batman letting Catwoman escape to do whatever uh, does fit in with the show as well. In fact, the only problem I see with it is there's a slight coloring error on the final page of the story, where as Batman's swinging uh, to catch the jewels as they fall from Big Ben, uh, at one point the jewels are not colored and then Another part of the swing, Batman's head isn't covered or colored. So that's unfortunate. But moving right along to issue number three. Issue number three had a cover date of December 1992 and an on sale date of November 3rd, 1992. This is Joker's Late Night Lunacy, written by Kelly Puckett, penciled by Ty Templeton, inked by Rick Prochette, lettered by Tim Harkins, colored by Rick Taylor, and edited by Scott Peterson. And this would be technically the final part of the three-part miniseries, obviously. The issue begins with Commissioner Gordon returning home, only to be greeted by the Joker, who shoots him with a tranquilizer dart. Elsewhere, Batman tricks a criminal into revealing the location of some tapes that will land him in prison for quite a while. And as the Dark Knight swings away, he passes Gotham Video, where we see that the Joker has taken over all of Gotham's television for a, the series premiere of Joker TV. His first guest is Commissioner Gordon, who he then proceeds to beat with a bat. But before signing off, Joker promises that he'll be back tomorrow night. Same Joker time, any channel at all, and with a new guest. Later at Gotham PD, Harvey Dent uses the bat signal to call Batman, much to Detective Bullock's chagrin. Dent agrees to work with Batman to save Gordon and stop Joker. The next day, or even later that night, it really isn't clear, the Joker and his crew bust into Harvey's home and shoots him and, and the Joker shoots him with another tranquilizer dart. Despite a warning from the Joker, Batman is still able to surprise the Joker's crew and take most of them out before Joker manages to take him down with three darts. As the next broadcast begins, Joker begins by stating that Dent was his intended guest, but instead, tonight's episode will bring about the unmasking of the Batman. But when Joker removes the cowl, we see Harvey Dent. In the confusion caused by the appearance of the second Dent, the real Batman, disguised as a tied-up Harvey, breaks his bonds and takes on Joker's crew. After freeing Gordon and retrieving his cowl, Batman chases after the fleeing Joker. Ch turns out that the studio was actually on a ship in the middle of Gotham Harbor. 
Joker escapes on a speedboat, but Batman manages to use a harpoon gun to attach a rope to the boat and then hangs on for a ride, using his almost superhuman strength to pull himself along the length of the rope to the boat. Unfortunately, by this point, the boat is near some rocks and Joker manages to leap free just before the collision. Batman manages to survive, and in the distance, he can hear the Joker's maniacal laughter. Now, this one's another fun one. The first page makes you think immediately, well, at least make me think immediately, of Killing Joke, uh, with Joker just being there and saying, Hi, honey, hard day at the office. Oh, you can totally hear Mark Hamill do it doing this it's perfect now the interesting thing is i don't know how informed these guys were of the show but i'm wondering how how much kelly puckett knew as far as the fact that one of the very first episodes of the show or that an early episode of the show would be joker doing christmas with the joker which is similar being able to take over all of the stations of gotham except this one isn't christmas it's a little scarier. Uh, also, another trick used in the animated series, but not until later, and that only because of the censors, is the idea that Joker is beating Commissioner Gordon with a bat, a 1958 Louisville slugger. We don't see it, so all we can do is assume it's scary. He said... That, that, now, Joker says um, that arms heal fast. I don't... Would he just be hitting Gordon's arms? That's kind of weird. But I can't imagine he'd be hitting him over the head. That would be kind of evil. Also, he, he Joker gets into it so much that at the bottom of page 7, he's got sweat dripping down his face and his hair is all a mess. Also hearkening back to the killing joke. Page eight, we've got Harvey Dent and Detective Bullock. Their first appearance on the show, uh, on the show, in the book. And it's something to remind you that at this early point in the show, uh, this is pre-Two-Face Harvey Dent. He's not, he does not turn into Two-Face until quite a bit later, I think. And as seen in one of the, as seen in the early episodes of the series, Detective Bullock is very anti-Batman. Very almost to the point where he's uh, going against Commissioner Gordon. He kind of softens up by it. Uh, he, he, he kind of softens up later on, but especially at the beginning, he's very hard-edged against Batman. Page 9, we see that while he's been wearing a trench coat, and you can't really see most of his suit other than his green pants, uh, apparently Harvey Dent is about as colorblind as the Golden Age Green Lantern. He's wearing a green tie and green pants, uh, a pink shirt, and a red jacket with yellow buttons and a handkerchief uh, that, or a pocket, uh, pocket chief, po a pocket, you know, the thing you put in your pocket. And it's the same pink as his shirt. That is disgusting. Just saying. As we move ahead, I am not sure at what point. Batman and Two-Face switch places. I'm thinking that at the point where Harvey's taken and Batman pops in, that Batman is Harvey Dent there. But 
if that's I don't know if that's true or not because he's doing a pretty darn good job. But you know, Harvey later on we learn he's he's a pretty good fighter, so it, it could be. The the uh one of the things though that is going to give you the suspension of disbelief, much like uh, classic Batman comics where he wears a mask over his cowl despite the ears being in the way, uh, is here we've got. Harvey Dent, who's his character design is a very narrow, rounded chin with what do you want to call them? Pouty lips, maybe? I don't know. And a kind of bent nose, whereas Batman has a very pointed, hard edged, square jaw. So it really should be obvious that this is not Batman, but Harvey Dent, but it's one of the suspensions of disbelief that you're just going to have to go with. And of course, page 22, uh, this is a typical uh, thing that they will also do on the animated series. Did Joker escape? Well, the only reason we know he escaped is because you can hear the laughter, but you don't know really how he got away. But then again, Batman also survived. Either way, Joker got away to... to take on Batman another day, but the day has been saved. So that that works out really well. Now, before we go into the next set of issues, I wanted to go over some of the stuff that was actually going on at DC and with the animated series during this time. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and go through every issue of every book, but I'm just going to highlight some of the big stuff. We're looking at September through November 1992. The Superman special went on sale, which is Walt Simonson basically telling the whole Sand Superman story in one big, uh, one supersized issue and fitting it into post-crisis continuity, although it was supposed to be an annual from a year or two earlier. So... Uh, Lois doesn't seem to know that Clark and Superman are the same person. And by this point, they're engaged. So, yeah. Martian Manhunter has a, has a miniseries going on. Justice Society is only in issue number three of its, I think, ten-issue run. Um, let's see. Huntress guest stars over in Detective. Dark Stars has its first issue come out. Flash and Green Lantern t- are teaming up in a crossover between the two books called Guerrilla Warfare that apparently landed the writers of the books in a little bit of hot water because of how silver-agey that story was. The original Captain Marvel had his first archive edition put on sale. Also, this month is the first month in which, uh, in the Superman books, the Superman titles, each issue ends with working on punching his way out of his containment because do, this is almost death of Superman time. We are so close here. Uh, like I just said, uh, each of the issues, as as it progresses, basically what progresses this month is on the final page, you get, I want to say, four panels. And uh, slowly he's not only trying to punch his way out of his containment thing, but he's also managing to kind of bust the glove on the hand that's punching. I want to say it's his left hand. And that progresses over the course of the month. And then moving up into October, uh, the first issue of Batman, I actually got to own that Christmas issue that 
or that issue I got that for that Christmas that um, I told you basically started the comic collecting was released this month. Batman versus the Headhunter. He's at this point. Batman is already um, gearing up for Nightfall. In that, while Bane hasn't really shown up or isn't really in the issues yet. Uh, he is having the kind of mental breakdown that would lead into Nightfall. Uh, they really keep pointing out the box of spilled blood that keeps opening up. Um, which, you know, sounds lovely. Also this month, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight Annual 2 came out, which is the issue in which Sarah Essen marries Commissioner Gordon and becomes Sarah Gordon. Uh, The battle against Doomsday begins in Superman Man of Steel number 18, where Doomsday not only completely busts out of the prison, but also busts through the Superman the Man of Steel logo and continues into Justice League 69, Superman 74, and Adventures of Superman 497. Progressively... Uh, dropping the number of, excuse me, progressively dropping the number of panels per page while also moving further into the story. At this point, I'm really only mentioning those because I, I don't know, <laughs> well, mostly because they're, those two books will be kind of tied to the animated stuff later on, but also because I haven't read a ton of stuff at this point. Uh, from this era in other books, so I don't know a lot of what's going on. Uh, Flash is going up against, uh, was it Dr. Alchemy? The all-new Dr. Alchemy. And it looks like Green Lantern is, or Hal, Green Lantern Hal Jordan is going up against Lobo in Legion 92. Okay, but like I said, I'm also not going to go over every little thing. And then finally for November 92, uh, let's see, this is the month in which a Superman has died. Uh, continuing action 684, Superman Man of Steel number 19, with a, a very bloody cover, although the blood is black. So, you know. Superman number 75, we get the end of the Death of Superman storyline, where Superman, fi uh, not finally, but where Superman basically... Uh, is killed by Doomsday, but don't worry, he also puts down Doomsday. Then, uh, of course, the Funeral for Friends storyline begins with Justice League of America number 70, and then also can kind of can going concurrent with Adventures of Superman 498 and continuing uh, along. In, uh, well, actually, that's it for this month because of the way that the releases were, apparently. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, uh, Robin... The, the third Robin miniseries, Cry of the Huntress, began this month. Who's Who in the DC Universe Update 93 started up this month in, with issue number one. Uh, Green, Hal, Jor the, Hal Jordan Green Lantern got his first archive edition. And Azrael, fresh off of his miniseries, which ends this month, uh, also ends up showing up in Batman number 488. I did not have that issue. The second issue of the Robin miniseries also showed up this month, as was the release of the world's finest trade uh, trade book collection that was written by Dave Gibbons with art by Steve Rude and Carl Ke Carl Kiesel, Kessel, depending on what mood he's in. And the second issue of Robin 3000 came out this month, so that's cool. 
But yeah, so that's where we stand as as we finish the third issue. Superman has just died, and Batman is getting ready for nightfall. And over in the on the animated series, by the time we reach November third of nineteen ninety two, thirty one episodes have aired. And I'm not going to go over all of them, but I will say that by the time we reach that, we've had the introduction of Man-Bat, Mr. Freeze, The Claw, and Catwoman, Clayface, Joker has made his first appearance, as has Poison Ivy, and Scarecrow. Uh, We also see the first time we see Leslie Tompkins, The Clock King. Uh, Did I say Two-Face? Two-Face has his debut and... We actually see Harvey become Two-Face. Although this time, instead of having the acid thrown in his face in a trial, he's caught in an explosion while trying to stop Rupert Thorne. So that's different. Oh, also one of the worst episodes, I think, of Batman the Animated Series that I ever watched. I've got Batman in my basement, which features Penguin as the bad guy. I do not like that issue, or that episode. It's the most boring. Ugh. Although I'm not a fan of The Forgotten either, which is also aired by this point. So, whatever. Mad Hatter has shown up by this point. Twice, actually. Wow, that was fast. He shows up in episode 24 and then comes back for episode 26. Crazy. Uh, We see Batman, how about... We learned about Batman's training as a ninja before he became Batman. Hugo Strange shows up and we get the Tiger Tiger episode uh, where... Selena Kyle ends up getting turned into an actual cat woman. And then we get, we also have two more episodes featuring Scarecrow by the time we get to that November 3rd aired, uh, that November 3rd date. So that is everything we've got so far. So we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we'll do the, the next three issues. After these messages, we'll be right everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is the Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of the Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega series. Be there in February 2018. 
Trinus Magnus Punches Reality can be found at twotruefreaks.com as well as iTunes. It's JL May. We're covering the Silver Age. This JL May. A comic event from Mark Wade. We're crossovering a podcast. There's 12 of us involved. Get it in your ear holes, this JL We'll tell you all All about the Silver Age It's not great But it's okay We really have to warn you It has a controversial one where Mark Miller wrote the lead. But it also has some good stuff. Deep style age metal man. Challenges of the unknown. Green Lantern Flash Patrol of Doom. The seven soldiers of victory are in there too. Annual JLMA event is upon us once more. In 2018, we're reading The Silver Age from 2001. The journey begins in the podcast Justice's First Dawn and continues in the shows Relatively Geeky, Coffee and Comics, Supermates, Waiting for Doom, Idlehead of Diablo, The Longbox Crusade, The Lantern Cast, Batgirl to Oracle, Comic Reflections, Cosmic Treadmill, The Fire and Water Podcast. Do you know it's JLMA? Do you know it's JML? It all begins this May. Fourth issue of Batman Adventures had a co- cover date of January 1993 and a an on-sale date of December 8th, 1992. Those next two issues were written by Marty Pasco with art by Brad Rader, who is actually a storyboarder for Batman the Animated Series. Inked by Rick Perchette, uh, lettered by Tim Harkins, colored by Rick Taylor, and edited by Scott Peterson. And our cover image, we know that Robin is going to guest star because Robin is getting beat up as Batman comes to save the day. When two trains crash into each other on Gotham's elevated track system, Batman is there to help out. But how did such a thing happen? It turns out that the man in charge of the train switches has suddenly lost the ability to read and was not able to remember the correct routing sequence. Elsewhere, a shadowy figure determines that the test of his dyslexis device 
was a success, and his plans can now proceed. The next morning, Summer Gleason reports that people all over Gotham are losing the ability to read, and when she throws it back to the studio, the anchor suddenly stops being able to read the teleprompter. Soon, the shadowy figure shows up on the screens, having taken over the, the airwaves similar to the way the Joker did it last issue, and declares that he is highly disappointed in Gotham's lack of funding for its educational system, and unless Gotham pays the ransom that he's demanded, all of Gotham will lose the ability to read, and he's the only one with the antidote. While Gordon and Mayor Hill discuss the effects of the illiteracy disease, we see one of the shadowy figure's henchmen working on the mayor's television. In the Batcave, Batman, not sure how this disease is being spread, heads out to the bat in the Batwing to attempt to stop the writing that is happening downtown. At Gotham State University, all classes have been suspended indefinitely, allowing Dick Grayson to head out as Robin to see what he can do to help. While Robin deals with the writing at the street level, he ends up in an electronics store thinking that it's being looted, but actually gang members are bringing in TVs and radios to the store, and when one of them turns on one of the radios, Robin suddenly loses his ability to read. After getting Batman's attention, the dynamic duo return to the Batcave where Robin tells Batman about what happened and identifies the gang members as wearing the colors of the stinks. Also, Alfred announces that the voice analysis of the extortionist broadcast identified the shadowy figure as being exactly who Batman thought it was. Elsewhere, we see the snakes adding some electronic hardware to several other devices, while the shadowy figure gloats that things are working out perfectly, and that once Mayor Hill goes on TV to calm the city and finds himself unable to read his own speech, it will produce the kind of terror that will get the results he's looking for. After all, terror is the name of the game if they dare defy the scarecrow we start off with page one and this page right here mr raider must have enjoyed because it goes right away i see probably two things well probably only one so one thing that absolutely was not allowed on the on the batman animated series and that was broken glass people are busting through a window and the windows on this train are being knocked out that was not allowed on the show two people have been thrown out Batman manages to save one, but the other one is hanging on to the train trestle, it looks like. Uh, we get in one of the first and very rare appearances in Batman in the Batman Adventures of Batman's grapple, grappling hook, as he fires that off and goes and saves the guy that's hanging for dear life. Uh, something you will notice immediately looking at page two is the extra drama that Raider brings. Uh, granted, it is a means that you're getting extra lines that you would not see on the animated series but it works since it's since this is actually a comic and not a cartoon uh page four i made it sound a little more like it's a surprise by the time you get to the end of the issue but if you're paying any attention even though he's in the shadows this is definitely the scarecrow with the hat and the where the hair is and the glove he's wearing and his shoes first appearance of summer gleason in the comics in any comics on page five and yet this issue is not worth a ton of money on page eight uh alfred is waking up bruce to bring to his attention the whole illiteracy thing but Joe, batman's kind of had a rough night thanks to dealing with clayface so this is supposed to take place roughly the same time as episode number probably five which came out in september when we see Bruce as Batman on page 10, putting on a gas mask and getting ready to head out, we already see that he has trimmed down quite a bit since the last issue. 
Uh, page 11, we get to see our first appearance of Dick Grayson wearing the classic Clark Kent outfit of a red sweater and a white button-up, a white dress shirt and blue pants. Uh, and then when we get to page 12, we see the rioting that has started with fires. Robin actually has to save the day by saving a woman that's stuck in a car. Uh, page Pages 17 and 18, we see that Robin is not doing a very good job against some of the rioters because uh, he's kind of overwhelmed. But we this is also where he learns that people are they're loading in the TVs and radios, not taking them out. And then finally, on page 22, we get our full-page shot of Scarecrow, which is basically following the look that he had in his first and uh, third appearance. Not the second one. It's hard to explain why they kept changing his appearance. I'm not sure. But uh, this is the one where he had hair. Uh, his second appearance, he doesn't have hair. It, it's really weird. Anyway, moving right along into the next issue, number five, which had a cover date of February 1993. Uh, it was released on January 5th, 1993. Same creative team as last time, although Kelly Puckett has returned to do the script. And the cover is also Mike Parabek's debut on the title. Part two of our story begins with Batman and Robin taking down a group of the, of the snakes in the act of planting the tainted electronics. The group's leader, Scarecrow's main henchman from last issue, who was working on Mayor's TV, also appears to be his second in command, and manages to escape, so while Batman chases him down, Robin checks out a radio to see what is different about it that would cause this, uh, the illiteracy problem. Meanwhile, Scarecrow has a really weird dream that basically sets up the background as to why he's doing all of this in the first place. In Mayor Hill's office, the mayor is about to turn on his TV when Robin busts in and puts a boot through the screen. As he removes Scarecrow's tech from the TV, he explains to both of them everything we've learned so far before heading out the window. Elsewhere, the fleeing henchman is in a cab and figures that the cab driver has managed to give Batman the slip and asks to be taken to his mother's place. Upon arrival, there's an ambulance outside. It turns out his mom couldn't read her prescription labels and ended up taking the wrong medicine. Even worse, the EMTs on the scene can't help her because as of that morning, they haven't been able to read either, and she doesn't have time to wait on another ambulance. Fortunately, the cabbie was actually Batman in disguise, and he's able to read the label and give the, EMT, the EMTs what they need to help her. Then the Dark Knight plays on the henchman's guilt to find out where the Scarecrow is. Meanwhile, Scarecrow is watching Mayor Hill's speech, in which the mayor explains pretty much everything that Robin told him earlier, which allows him to realize that Batman is behind it and has the gang members prepare for company. But once they arrive, the dynamic duo are still no match for the gang to handle. While Batman takes care of most of the gang, Robin goes after Scarecrow. In a small room full of TVs, Scarecrow tries shooting at the Teen Wonder, but a ricochet causes a shelf of TVs to start to fall on the villain. Robin manages to knock him out of the way, but ends up pinned under the TVs. He then manages to appeal to Jonathan Crane and gets him to give up the antidote, which is actually just another bit of electronic gadgetry. And as he attempts to leave, he walks right into the totally awesome Batman. And the story ends with everyone being cured by listening to, I guess, listening or watching a device that has this antidote electronic in it, and he's in prison uh, reading a newspaper about Gotham being cured. Sometimes I can't tell when a writer changes hands. And this is one of those cases I did not realize that the writer had changed back to Kelly Puckett 
from Marty Pasco this time. So I guess good job on Mr. Puckett. Batman punches a guy through a TV because he's totally awesome. Now we get into the dream in the first part. Professor Crane, Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, is talking to the guys that... And I cannot think of their names right now for the life of me. Oh, man. I hate it when I do that. Uh, basically, it's the guys that ran the house, used to run the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets. That's kind of a cool little cameo that they don't really announce. And if you don't know them, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, somehow, moving into the next part of the dream it starts off with a class that looks like average college students including dick grayson who's staring at a busty blonde lady although two seats behind her is a clown not the joker just a just just a clown and everyone's staring at each other except for a couple of people are mad and but when we switch to looking at professor crane who's trying to start his lesson he's standing in front we can see penguin joker and the ear of catwoman also, this whole time, this whole dream, the scarecrow mask has been talking. And then Jonathan Crane ends up in his prison cell trying to grade papers. And not only are people spelling wrong, but they don't even spell their names right. So this is why he's upset about the educational system. And because he's all upset about it, he decides to join forces with the scarecrow by putting on the mask. And just as he's putting on the mask, one of his hench guys wake him up. That's the dream. That makes no sense, and it's kind of weird. On page 11, the henchman's mom looks a lot like Aunt May. I mean, a lot. It's kind of scary. Also, this issue, there's a lot of sweating going on with people that can't read and are scared. So that that's kind of weird. Page 15, Scarecrow tells everyone they're going to have visitors soon, and we want to make them feel handy or feel welcome. And then on page 16, we see the boat that. Once again, the villain is using a boat for a hideout. But we see Scarecrow, the, the boat that Scarecrow is using. we got three guards knocked out. We, next panel, we have three more people knocked out. The next panel, we see three more people unconscious. Uh, but this time, we see the shadows of Batman and Robin. And they continue to enter. But in the next room, they're surrounded by the henchmen. And... Batman actually manages to take him out basically with a I guess a weight at the end of the rope it could be the battering but it's rather simple and it is working cool panel though page 19 fourth panel Batman has thrown down a smoke grenade and is taking down bad guys that can't see and he leaps out of the smoke oh it's so cool I don't care that it's the animated version because I think the animated version is cool these days uh, but he leaps out. There's smoke still billowing around him. His face is completely in shadow. So all you see is the eyes. It's really cool. But that's about it. And one more issue to go. Moving on into issue number six. It had a cover date of March 93 and an on sale date of February 2nd, 1993. Title of the story is The Third Door, written by Kelly, the wrong man, Puckett. Drawn by Brad Psycho Raider. Inked by Rick Rope Burchett. Colorist was Rick Vertigo Taylor. Letterer was Tim Spellbound Harkins. And Scott Frenzy Peterson was the editor. And as I should have mentioned on all of these, uh, Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. This issue begins in Meteor Rays, with Bruce Wayne kneeling next to the dead body of a man with a gun and a puddle of blood, which also would not have been allowed on the animated series. Soon he's being questioned by Bullock, until they're interrupted by the arrival of Bruce's attorney, 
and Dick Grayson. While Bullock and the attorney argue, Bruce tells Dick what happened. It was at a party at the Crenshaw Mansion, where the board at Wayne Tech wanted him to talk to David Crenshaw about doing some business together. David wanted to meet with a few more guests before talking business, so Bruce waited for him out on the balcony. About a half hour later, he heard a shot from the balcony above him, and rather than try wading through the panic crowd, he just used a Batman maneuver to kind of leap and flip his way up to that next balcony. Inside, one of the party guests was bleeding, holding a gun, said the name Rose, pointed towards the door, and then passed away. That was when the party guest busted in, and that catches us up to where we were at the beginning of the issue. And since he really can't explain how he got up to the room, which had been bolted from the inside, he has no way of, pros- of proving he didn't murder the party guest. While Bruce has to deal with being in a holding cell, Dick goes to the Crenshaw Mansion to check things out for himself. Why he does this is Dick, rather than sneaking around as Robin, I'll never know, but while he's having a look around, Bruce has to allow himself to get beat up by a cellmate while Barney Fife works to get the gun he dropped. Once he retrieves his gun and leaves, Bruce lays the cellmate down with a swift kick, and then begins to go over everything again in his head. Bruce realizes that this guest was not pointing at the door, but at the clock next to the door, which must conceal a hidden exit. And as Bruce realizes that the murderer must have been Crenshaw himself, Crenshaw manages to knock Dick out with a blow to the head from a gun. As Crenshaw prepares to leave, he sees Batman running towards the house. He runs inside and hides in the murder room where he's holding a supposedly unconscious Dick Grayson hostage. Batman enters the room through the clock and gets Crenshaw talking while secretly signaling a move to Dick. At the right time, Dick causes the chair he's tied to to tip over, giving Batman a clear shot at Crenshaw with a battering. Bruce manages to return to his cell just as Crenshaw's signed confession forces Bullock to release him, but he still wants to know how Bruce got into the room. The cover to this issue is actually drawn by Rick Burchett, showing off his own drawing style. Looks kind of cool. It would at least have made me want to flip through the issue, but the story would have made me buy it. Page two of the story, the very first panel, Batman lo- or Bruce looks pretty annoyed to be sitting there listening to Bullock's questions. He's not even answering anything. He's just sitting there staring at the big light, the big spotlight that Bullock has pointed at his face. Starting with page three, none of the extra characters in the story look anything like Bruce Tim would have um, created them. Too much detail, uh, too many lines, too curved, looks cartoonish, like maybe Golden Age art, but does not look like the Tim style whatsoever. I like a few of the hidden things in the backgrounds on some of the pages, like on page four, where Bruce is being introduced to the actual guest that will die in a little bit by Crenshaw. Uh, In the foreground, by the drinks, we see an older, chubbier guy getting slapped by a blonde lady, leaving the reader to imagine what he did to earn that slap. Once again, uh, we do see someone wearing a gaudy colored outfit. Bruce, who on the show is normally drawn with a brown suit and a yellow shirt and a brown tie or a black tie um here he's it's all kind of green let's just say it's the kind of green and brownish color that i don't know it's almost camouflage if he was in the military it's rather disgusting really but he's got matching socks so you know whatever page five we get to the point where um we return from the flashback to the current to current day to current time And while Dick and Bruce are talking, 
Uh, we see Bullock and the lawyer arguing in the background, but they just have empty balloons. Page eight. Again, like I said, I don't understand completely why. And apparently Dick knows Mr. Crenshaw or David Crenshaw. So maybe that's why, because it'd be easier to go in uh, with permission than it would be to, to sneak around and possibly get caught. I, I don't know, but I, I'm not 100% sure why Dick goes over as Dick instead of as Robin. And page 10, boy, does this guy look, does this officer look like Barney Fife? Number one, he's spooked, so he's, his, his hand is shaking anyway. And, of course, you got this big brute in the cell with Bruce. And Bruce is about to defend himself before Barney opens up and says, Hey, there's some kind of trouble in here? And, yeah, uh, he drops his gun. and <laughs> There is a humor beat. He drops the gun. Bruce and the other prisoner are wa watch it drop. And they both have this surprised look on their face. And as the officer says, whoops, Bruce just looks at him, kind of upset looking, while the big brute guy has his big old smile and winds up for a punch. Fortunately, with all his years of training, Bruce knows how to take punches so they don't cause any permanent damage. And just to show how awesome he is, he manages to deck the guy with one kick. So that's nice. And then he straightens up his tie. As though he were, I don't know, James Bond or something. Oh, the fun part about this, though, is that we never do see how Bruce escapes, and they never point it out. He just leaves. Uh, actually, we don't even realize he's left until we see Batman running up the uh, front drive. Also kind of interesting, is if you look at page 19 and 20, where Crenshaw is holding Dick at gunpoint, he's holding Dick's hair, and while you can't see the whole head few wisps have fallen down on the sides, kind of giving Dick the classic Golden Age Dick Grayson kind of hair style that he had all the way up until the new look Batman debuted in the 60s. Uh, page 21 is also the first appearance of the Batarang drawn accurately to the show uh, because uh, we had seen it previously. I want to say in issue one now that I think about it, but it does not follow the animated guide at all as far as the way it look of the bat of the battering maybe closer to the way it would look when after the redesign but for this version it did not match and that's how we finished the issue uh looking real quick at the other stuff that was going on at this point um again as i mentioned before i mean the death of superman trade is already out uh while the funeral for a friend is only entering its what's part two it's second month so like two weeks after superman dies the trade is already available jeez uh now batman vengeance of bane special uh so the the debut of bane so you can tell nightfall is coming we have got the debut of bane here in december of 92 uh flash 73 came out this month this is a christmas issue this would be the start of the return of Barry Allen's storyline. Which is one of the best storylines that Mark Wade did during his time on The Flash. At least when he was writing by himself before Brian Augustin came in and was writing with him. Two of the most supremely cool issue covers that you will ever see 
on the Superman book that don't actually feature Superman. Superman, Man of Steel number 20, has uh, several of the DC heroes standing over the plaque that is laid in front of the Daily Planet to indicate the exact spot where Superman died. Several of the DC heroes that were around back at that time are there to pay their condolences. Uh, You can see Batman and Robin in the distance, but you see Bibbo. Bibbo! The Hal Jordan Green Lantern. You see Flash, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, Aquaman, Nightwing, Fire uh, from the Justice League, uh, Mr. Miracle, and Guardian. That's cool because um, this one and the next part of of the big storyline are the only ones that really go into what the other heroes are dealing with. Uh, The next issue, Superman 76, which has a cover by Dan Jurgens, is somewhat similar, whereas last issue, Superman 75 had the tattered Superman cape on a, stuck to a, I guess it was stuck to a post or a, or a stick or a pole or something. It looks like on this one, Batman is literally just dropping it off the side of the Daily Planet. On the Daily Planet building itself, you see Guardian, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Batman, Robin, Aquaman, and Nightwing. And on the Daily Planet globe, you see members of the Justice League, Captain Marvel, Agent Liberty, Metamorpho, Guy Gardner, Maxima, Power Girl, Bloodwind, the female Dr. Light, and Crimson Fox, I think? And a lot of those people aren't even in the issue. This is the uh, Metropolis mailbag story uh, where the various DC heroes take over for Superman to do the Metropolis mailbag where it's Christmas time, so they are helping people like Superman normally does. Which, only it was only, what, a year or two? Or like two, like a year before, literally in real time, that they actually mentioned that he does that, so that was kind of cool. Bane makes his debut in a regular Batman book in Batman 489, where he takes on Giller Croc. And uh, the new Justice League makes its debut in Justice League America number 71. Uh, this is still during the Dan Jurgens run, although this is near the end of it. Uh, Superman had been part of it, which is why the Justice League issues have been showing up lately. Uh, and this one has new members, The Ray, Agent Liberty, uh, Wonder Woman, and Black Condor. Also another awesome Superman issue, Adventures of Superman 499, has the... First time we get to see the Superman statue in Centennial Park based on the, I want to say Superman issue number 14 cover with Superman with the eagle on his arm. That statue is, having just recently read Action Comics 1000, that is still the basis for the statue that's in Metropolis in the current issues. Just saying. Moving into the next month. One of uh, Brian Boland's most iconic Wonder Woman covers shows up on Wonder Woman number 72. Jonathan Kent has a heart attack in Man of, Superman Man of Steel 21. Uh, the Joker gets pumped up on Venom in Batman 490. Uh, Superman, and then a very iconic cover, basically flies off to heaven in Superman 77, which sh- brings an end to the monthly Superman books for a little bit. For January 93, like I said... The Superman titles took a vacation, so, but don't worry, Superman is not gone forever. They had specials. This month saw Superman, The Legacy of Superman, featuring Guardian, Thorn, Gangbuster, Wave Rider, and basically Sinbad from the Sinbad contract storyline, and how they're 
continuing on without Superman around anymore. Barry Allen's story is still going on in Flash. Batman 491. This was my very first issue in the subscription that I got. This would be the issue in which Bane basically destroys Arkham and sets out pretty much all the prisoners. This would be Nightfall prequel. Also this month, the Superman Gallery came out and... That was cool. The first time I saw it, I thought it was actually going to be stories, but it's really just different pages of Superman art. Recolored with more modern colors, uh, so you get some of the more cla- some very classic covers, uh, some poster art. One of my favorite pieces in there is done by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, and it's painted. Oh, it's so pretty. Um, but that's it for this month. And then over in the animated world, now keep in mind, all the episodes of the show, the first season had 65 episodes. So they were um, pretty much airing them daily, starting with November 4th. Episode 32 is the Beware of the Great Ghost, which is, brings back Adam West as Great Ghost, the hero who kind of inspired Batman. And this goes all the way up to February 2nd. Uh, which gets us to episode 50, which is the debut of Zatanna. And in the in between, we get the return of Catwoman. Gordon gets shot, and Batman almost quits being Batman. The famous Almost Got Him episode, the Moon of the Wolf story from Batman 255, is actually gets its um, adaptation. Man Bat returns. We get Christmas with the Joker. We get the two-part Heart of Steel with Hardak. Uh, the debut of the Riddler. Joker shows up again. Uh, Hardak's Batman double shows up and takes on Batman. Uh, Talia makes her debut. Riddler shows up again. One of the a great Joker episode, The Laughing Fish. The first teaming up of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Uh, the Mechanic, which is where pa- Penguin basically finds the guy that built the Batmobile, Earl Cooper, and forces him to make some changes to the Batmobile. Uh, and of course the man who killed Batman, that's a fun issue. That's a fun story written by Paul Dini and directed by Bruce Tim. That, that is one of my favorites, um, especially Joker's funeral or bat, the Batman funeral with the Joker and the, giving his speech. And of course the Zat- Zatanna story. So that's the first six issues of Batman adventures. Um, I'm going to try to keep, I'm not going to do this every episode. Uh, because I basically what happened was this was originally what I was going to do as my return to podcasting, but I had all this other stuff that I kind of wanted to do. So I decided to just make this a series of episodes that show up sporadically in Charlie's Geek Cast. So this is the first one. My plan is to go all the way through from this first set of issues of Batman Adventures all the way through to the end of Justice League Unlimited. I'm sticking just to the show, to the comics that are related to the shows in the Tim universe or Timverse, as people call it. Uh, I don't know when I'll be back with more of issues like this, but I will see you in another couple of weeks with another brand new episode. Please, please, I implore you to please go over to twotruefreaks.com and make sure you check out some of the other episodes by my fine compatriots over there. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff. It, 
whatever your appeal, I'm sure you'll find something you like. Also, if you happen to be feeling like going to Amazon anytime soon, if you would please go over to the Two True Freaks site and click on the little Amazon banner. Uh, you can still go and buy whatever you want, however much you want or whatever. But if you follow that link to get over to Amazon, then depending on how much you have spent, Two True Freaks gets a little bit of a kickback. I guess a referral fee, I guess you could call it. Uh, which helps cover the expenses for the site and the server space and all that stuff so we can continue to bring you these fine, fine shows. Uh, and it doesn't add any cost to what you're buying. doesn't cost you a cent. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that'd be great. And I, I know I and everyone else on the Two True Freaks Network would royally appreciate it. Alternate ways to check out the show, in addition to being able to download it from iTunes or any other podcatcher, the show is also available on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as on t- the TuneIn Radio app. I have my own quote-unquote station page. Uh, you can find the links to that over at charliesgeekcast.com, uh, as well as that's also where you can go to find more. That's also where you can go to find more complete show notes, including extra images and possibly videos, uh, because the Two True Freak site is amazingly awesome and is the home of the show. But the only picture you can add is the cover image for the episode, and it will will not allow you to add in extra images or anything else to your show notes. So go over to charliesgeekcast.com if you want to see some extra stuff like that. And I want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope you have a good day. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.